in something like this way. Come to Jesus and he will solve all your problems and he will prosper you and he will give you success. Maybe even he will give you wealth, right? Especially if you send in an offering to whoever's giving this message. I don't know. Um, the universe does not revolve around us. God is very interested in restoring our souls, in meeting our needs, in supplying what we lack. In fact, Jesus gave his life for us, but it wasn't because we deserved it. Sometimes we get that backwards. We did not deserve for the eternal son of God to lay down his life for us. Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, we were enemies of God. So because of our sin before a holy God, we were actually enemies of God, an offense to his holiness. And yet, even though we didn't deserve it, in fact, although we deserved punishment and judgment out of the eternal abundance of the love of God, he chose to redeem us. Out of his eternal love, Jesus chose to lay down his life for us. And then he gives us worth and purpose because he loves us. God does these things for us, for his name's sake. In Ezekiel 36:22, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. How often throughout the Old Testament did God intervene to deliver Israel, although he says, I didn't do it because you deserved it. They had earned the oppression which they had brought on themselves because they abandoned God and worshiped other gods. And yet God says, I will redeem you. Not for your sake, but for the sake of my name, which you have in fact profaned among the nations. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If you've heard that famous phrase before as well. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God will only ever lead you in paths of righteousness. How often do we agonize over some decision seeking the will of God and sometimes that decision involves a moral component about which God has already spoken if that is the case you don't have to doubt what God's will is he has spoken he will never lead you into paths that are not righteous right and so God leads us in paths of righteousness we can't make up our own morality. You can probably find a church that will pat you on the back and allow you to continue enjoying whatever your favorite sin is. But you would fall into that same um, sin for which Israel was often condemned in the Old Testament. You've made idols with your own hands and then bowed down to worship your creation. And if you're worshiping an idol that you created, that image can't possibly have any more resources than you have yourself to save you when you need it. I don't want to be my own shepherd. 
and make up my own rules. I want a shepherd who is capable of rescuing me out of the situations that I find myself in for my own fault or because of external enemies. And that is the God who says he leads us in paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. To this day, if you go down from Jerusalem along the highway to the Judean desert, you see these narrow gullies beside the road, where, if unless the sun is directly overhead, there's always a shadow at the bottom of the valley. And valleys with the shadow of death are a natural part of our life in this age. All of us will walk through those valleys. Most of you probably have. Sometimes we walk through the valley with a loved one and we say goodbye. And one of us comes out the other end. Uh, we were in the hospital, as I said, with my son last year. Uh, we saw some white spots in the back of his throat and we took him into the emergency room to get him on some antibiotics. And they ended up checking him into the hospital, putting him on IV antibiotics, ran all kinds of tests, couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. Uh, all of a sudden, his oxygen level dropped way down. Uh, they put him on oxygen. Then the doctor comes in and says, we're going to have to operate. We're going to have to install three tubes to drain the liquid that's building up around his heart and his lungs. And we realized at some point, if we don't figure out what's, what's wrong, we could lose our son. And he was in uh, the hospital for 10 days in intensive care for three or four days. Um, and what I think most blessed us in that experience was knowing that our son knew the shepherd. And hearing him in this, in this painful, weak voice while he's lying there hooked up to all the tubes, praying and asking God to heal him, that was a blessing to my heart, although, uh, you know, the mixed emotions that, that, that hit you there, I'm trying not to bawl so that he won't see me weeping, you know, but, but that was uh, at the same time a very precious moment to know that the Lord is his shepherd because no one can take your hand and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death into heaven but your shepherd. If Jesus is your savior, he will be with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's interesting how the language changes. If you've noticed in the Psalm, David, who knew about sheep, he was a shepherd, remember. Uh, he, he's telling us about the shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters, makes me lie down in the green pastures. And now when he gets to the valley of the shadow of death, the language changes and he says, The Lord, uh, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Suddenly he's speaking directly to his shepherd. It's a very personal conversation and we get to listen in. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. How is it that even in the valley of the shadow of death, where death is at least a possibility, we don't need to fear evil? Because, of course, our shepherd has conquered death itself. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? 
O death, where is your sting? The, the shepherd has, in fact, conquered death itself. In Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7, there's this wonderful scene where people from every tribe and language bow down before the Lamb, and they're worshiping him. I think God is worshipped more richly as he is praised in more languages. And you realize that every year God is worshipped in languages in which the name of Jesus was not known a year ago. The gospel is going out to the nations like never before. The peoples of the earth are coming to the Lord in many places in an amazing way. And we know that the task that Jesus left to the church to go and make disciples of all peoples will be fulfilled because Jesus promised to do it. It depends on him, not on us. We get to participate, though, and we get to see in Revelation 5 and 7 what that looks like someday. Because there will be people from every tribe and language bowing down before the throne. But I'd like to go to Revelation 7 because there's a wonderful passage there in verses 15 to 17 where it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Think of the green pastures. And the quiet waters, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't it an amazing picture that we find in scripture that the Lord, the creator of the universe, became a human being? So that he could walk among us and suffer and die for us. He became the lamb. He became the sacrifice for our sins. And then someday that lamb becomes the conquering king. The lamb becomes the shepherd who leads us to streams of living waters, who wipes away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more shadows someday in the presence of our Savior for the rest of eternity. It also says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are different tools that the shepherd uses. One of them is probably something like the shepherd's staff, a tool that the, that the uh, shepherd uses to help the sheep. The other is probably a weapon that the shepherd uses to defend the sheep. David learned to defend his sheep from the lion and the bear with his sling, right? Uh, and the sheep are very vulnerable creatures. Uh, they need someone to protect them because there are a lot of uh, predators around. In, in the case of my grandfather, the coyotes were always getting sheep. Uh, but sheep also need a shepherd to get them out of messes they get themselves into. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a sheep can stumble, can fall over on its back, and become cast. It's like a beetle or a cockroach with its feet waving in the air. It can't get up. It's stuck. If it's a hot day, a sheep can die within a few hours unless the shepherd comes along and gets the sheep back on its feet. I've got a video of my grandfather uh, tipping a sheep over and sitting it up on its hind end, and the sheep can't do anything. In fact, they shear sheep that way sometimes if they're you know working alone or whatever. 
They can incapacitate a sheep very quickly, but a sheep needs the shepherd. In fact, uh, sheep are very vulnerable creatures. They don't break down the fence and run off into the wild and survive very long, right? Uh, one time the sheep got out and they were just following each other in a circle in the middle of the road until someone uh, called my grandfather and he could go out and get the sheep back in. We are too much like sheep, right? We need a shepherd to protect us from our enemy who is a dangerous enemy and who would destroy us if he could. And we also need a shepherd to protect us from ourselves and to get us out of the mess we often get ourselves into. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love picturing this scene. It reminds me of the story of Job. If you remember in Job, there's this cosmic challenge. God initiates it and says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And if Job could have seen into heaven, he probably would have spoken up right there and said, don't get me involved in this. I, I'd rather not. But because Satan comes after Job in this cosmic uh, challenge from God, he becomes an example to us, an example that I think has also spoken to the hearts of God's people for thousands of years. And you remember, God allows Satan to take away everything Job has, but he draws a line where Satan cannot touch Job himself. Think of how powerful Satan is as an enemy. He causes a violent wind to knock down the house where, Job, where Job's children are and kills all of his kids. And then the marauding tribes come in and carry off all of Job's livestock. He loses all of his wealth and all of his children. And then the messengers arrive one after the other. Satan orchestrated all of this so that Job would have maximum pressure on him to just curse God and die, and yet he doesn't turn against the Lord. And in the second phase, God even allows Satan to touch Job's body, but won't allow him to take Job's life. And then, in the end, God restores all of his fortunes, all of his wealth, gives him more children than he had before. God is in control of everything, even Satan cannot cross a line it cannot do anything that God does not allow. And so this is the picture. Here is a good old-fashioned enemy, armored for battle, who wants to destroy and dismember you. And the shepherd lays a table right in front of this enemy who's itching to harm you and invites you to sit down and enjoy a meal in the presence of your enemy who cannot touch you in the presence of the shepherd. Because he is the Lord of all. He is sovereign. It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Apparently, uh, sheep, as you go through the summer into the fall, have a lot of problems with flies and other insects. Uh, we haven't been back in the States in summer for 10 years. We've been back in wintertime getting little... Uh, four or five month visits back to our churches. Um, this is the first time we've been here through the summer. And so we're remembering what those bugs are like about this time of year. Uh, two days ago, we were with family doing some things outside. The gnats were flying in my eyes and in my mouth. I know you guys experience this all the time. Um, we live in a desert in Peru. There aren't that many bugs, actually. 
In fact, uh, this isn't bugs, I guess, but the uh, yellow jackets stung both of my hands. I wasn't bothering them. I didn't know I parked in front of their driveway. I don't know what it was, but they, it was, it was a problem. But with sheep, the bugs, and especially the flies, will really bother them, especially in late summer. And the shepherd would anoint their head with oil to protect from these insects. And apparently also it was a treatment for a disease that's common with sheep called scab. So um, the, the sheep were in fact anointed with oil, but in the Old Testament, anointing oil speaks of comfort and prosperity. An overflowing cup means you have all that you need. And so, so much of this passage, I think, is speaking to us trusting and accepting what the shepherd provides so that we are completely satisfied. If you think about all those little little bugs, you know, how many things, little things perhaps, can start to bug us and get our focus off the Lord and make us unsatisfied with what God has given us. There are so many things we could gripe about. Sometimes there are many things to be um, concerned about, right? But as we often discuss with our kids, a common conversation at night is if you allow circumstances to determine your happiness, you will go through life pretty miserable because there's always something to gripe about, but there are 10,000 reasons to be thankful, to count the blessings that God has given you. My cup overflows. I can't contain the blessing. I have blessing to share with others around me. I'd like to read the words of the song that we sang for you this morning. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Why at the end of life in the valley of the shadow of death can I sing? Because my shepherd is with me and I will be with him for 10,000 years and then forevermore. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness refers to that which pr promotes, protects, produces, and enhances life. And mercy is my favorite Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which is sometimes translated mercy, sometimes translated love. It's God's covenant-keeping loyalty and faithful mercy for his people. Throughout my life, I can count on God's protection and provision as well as his faithful love and mercy because he will be with me my whole life long. And it doesn't end there. Someday he will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with his children into his presence. And we will be with him for 10,000 years. And that's just the beginning of forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the comfort and the peace and the joy that you give us because you love us, because we can count on the presence of our shepherd Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, who doesn't have you as their shepherd, that they would trust Jesus 
as their Savior today. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning with your word and that you would help us to guard it in our hearts for the times when we most need you to speak to us. Thank you that we can count on your presence through the valley and even into heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.